All right, guys, we can take a seat. I'm sorry, my son would just give me a few pointers for my message before we get to it. Yeah, oh, he's taller than me, all right? Yeah. <laughs> Quiet now. Uh, guys, you know, in all this, I haven't even introduced myself. If you are a guest, my name is Brad. I'm uh, one of the pastors here, excited uh, to be giving the message this morning. I was away last week, and Sam Romine talked about uh, Jesus as the greater, as a better leader than Moses. Uh, this has been an exciting series, and I've heard some, uh, some positive feedback from you guys as well, that you're enjoying walking through this series. Um, we're walking through Greater Than, looking through the book, the, the letter to, uh, to the, the Hebrews, which is a letter written to uh, a church of uh, Christians with a Judeo, uh, a Jew, Jewish background. And so a lot of ritual and all that kind of stuff. And now they're finding themselves in Rome, the center of culture, the center of language, the center of pagan worship. And uh, they're being called on by the author of, of Hebrews to, to not give up on their faith, to not go back to old versions of faith, but to stay with Jesus because everything you thought was so great in the past, Jesus is better than all of it. And so the question for you and I today is not just to have, and throughout the series, is not just to have a good history lesson on what the Jews used to believe. <laughs> the, the, the question is that for you and I, what are we holding on to our lives and saying, you know what, Jesus is good, but I'm just going to hold on to this one. So yeah, you can reign, but not, the, not here, because this is pretty darn good. The, the writer of Hebrews, if he came here today, would have a very simple message for you. I don't care how shiny something looks to you. I don't care how much the culture pushes a pursuit and says how important it is. Jesus is greater than. And, I, and he doesn't care what you put on the other side of that. Greater than. That's the bottom line. Um, if you guys want to grab your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 5, we're going to start from uh, verse 11. Uh, also, in, in our church, if, you, if it helps you, you can go onto your phone or your iPad and go to cachurch.info. At cachurch.info, you can find uh, Town Center and our sermons, and you can take notes, and you can email it to yourself, and hold on to your notes that way. And... Um, Speaking to uh, Nick Fraze, who kind of looks at all the information of who's using this app and stuff, we are using it far more than they are at the other campus. You guys are really taking advantage of this. Um, but as I've said in the past, if you start on CA Church Info and then fade to Instagram or whatever else, then don't use it. If you don't have the ability, if it's not helping you focus, if it's not a helpful tool, then uh, don't use it. Uh, out of respect for God's word, I'm going to invite you to stand. And we are going to read from Hebrews Chapter 15, verses 11 through to uh, 6, uh, verse 3, I think. I've got something written down here. 15, chapter 5, verse 11 through to 6, 3. Was I making something else up there on the spot? All right. My mouth's just moving. Don't, don't even, okay. Here we go. Word of God this morning. There is much more we would like to say about this, but it is difficult to explain, especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. Oh, okay. You have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature, 
who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. So let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. Let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting with repenting from evil deeds and placing our faith in God. You don't need further instruction about baptisms and laying on of hands, uh, the, ref- the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And so God willing, we will move forward to further understanding. We are going to walk through the text a little further this morning, but we're going to leave it at that for now. God of grace, I pray. Um, it can be so difficult to come and just um, be quiet for, for 35, 40 minutes and just listen to what you might want to say to us. Um, there can be so many things going on in our minds about what, what happened this last week and what's going to be going on this afternoon and tomorrow. So God, I just pray that you would bring a calmness to our hearts and minds. And you would bring a willingness for us to listen to what you would want to say to us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, before we we dive into this, I want you to remember. Now, do I not preach a lot about grace? Do I not preach a lot about the love and the mercy and forgiveness of Christ? Okay, good. So when we're done this morning, you're like, he kind of did a bit. Okay, just remember. We're balanced in this church. Okay. I, I think you might have picked up. You might have picked up that the, the author of Hebrews here is like is, ugh, a, little, uh, a little annoyed and, and really pushing back on the, the culture of this church. We have, uh, babies are cute. I mean, we just had Eli up here. Eli's such, such is, is, as the kids are saying these days, totes adorbs. Um, <laughs> Is that too cutting edge? Sorry, I grew up in East Van. I'm totally street. Um, so some babies are cuter than others. We, I got a shot here. Now this is, um, her name happens to be Ariel. Um, this is Ariel when she was a baby. And uh, yeah, I mean, let's face it. There's more pictures of my kids than my parents looked at me. That's, I mean, we're taking pictures all the time with our devices. Uh, and we have a strong collection of, uh, of pictures. Even eating, they can be cute. This is, this is uh, Cadence's Batman. Um, when he was eating pancakes, um, I think every picture for a few years was that picture with that mask on. Now that can be cute, but things can go south pretty quick. We got some shots of what it looks like when kids just know how to experiment with food, we've got to get up in the hair, kind of gets all over the place. There's this movement that goes on with, with like pureed peas and things like that, where some of it goes in the mouth and some of it goes up the nose and in the ears and in the hair and comes down, fills up the little curved bib and then goes beyond that, gets down onto the high chair and then gets all mixed up like that. Every once in a while, when my wife and I will be going through like Google photos and you can go back on the sidebar there and see how far back you can go, we'll look at pictures like that and we'll say, oh, well, we got some videos of it too. And there's like this nostalgic joy of looking back at those. We, we look back and we say, do you remember when? It brings back warmth because it's in the past. It brings up warmth because my son knows that you don't eat pancakes in public with a Batman mask on anymore. It, it comes with warmth because my kids know actually how to prepare food and eat food without, mostly, without it going all over their face and all over their clothes. If my son at 16 ate the way my daughter did in that picture. It wouldn't bring me joy. I wouldn't look at it and go, aw. I would be, he's laughing. (laughs) 
Be like, you didn't see me this morning. It was crazy. It wouldn't bring joy. In fact, it would bring pain. Because we would realize that something is stunted and, and growth has not taken place the way it should. And he's not, they're not functioning in the way that they should. It's cute when they're one. It's not cute when they're 21. Right? There's a, there's a real concern if that was the case. The author of Hebrews is in a similar state here. He's looking uh, at the condition of the church. And, and rather than being able to say, look back, when, remember back when you first became Christians and you were still struggling with those really basic things and learning those basic things? He's saying, you still haven't learned those basic things. You guys should be teaching. I mean, at least start teaching uh, you know, Sunday school, at least, and then start moving up. Well, I shouldn't even say that because our Sunday school teaches some powerful theology and does it with, uh, with this boy leading worship as well. But there was a lack of ma- maturity in the church and it is breaking his heart. In, in this previous verses, which we're actually going to look at next week, he's about, he's about to talk about Melchizedek, the priest of the Old Testament. And we're going to look at that next week. But he, he kind of starts it and then he stops in his letter. And he's like, you know what? I don't even think you're ready for that yet. Because I don't even think you can handle that kind of theology because you don't even remember the basics. You're not even living out the basics of what it means to follow Jesus. You're settling for all this other stuff. It reminds me of an old joke I heard about a pastor who was just hired and he went up front and he looked at the congregation and he said, love one another. Let's pray. And then he went and he sat down and all the elders were like, powerful. I mean, cutting edge, powerful, powerful sermon. Next week, he got up. Love one another. He sat down. Next week, until the elders came to him after four weeks, and they said, when are you going to preach on something else? He said, when you learn the first one. (laughs) You you get the idea that that's what the writer of Hebrews is kind of feeling with these guys. Guys, this is not cute anymore. We should be moving beyond this. In verses 13 and 14 there of chapter 5, for someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. You guys want to hear some deeper stuff about God? You want to feel the presence of God even more? You're not even willing to give them the small stuff, the basic stuff. You seem to want more, but if you want greater maturity, it comes first from listening. You have to be listening. He says, you're dull of hearing. Some translations say sluggish, and that's closer to the original. Sluggish of hearing. What a visual. (laughs) You've got slug-like listening skills. Gross. You do not respond when God calls you to obedience. When you meet together in your faith community, you have no real interest of how how God wants to transform you and speak to you. You're you're making an appearance with no intent on being moved by God's spirit, no, no willingness to be moved by his word, no interest in letting the words of scripture cut through and remake your heart. I tell you, maybe we, maybe you and I, maybe when I'm working on a message during the week, I shouldn't just be figuring out how good it's going to preach. I need to be asking myself, am I allowing the spirit of God to speak to me through his word? But we may need to ask ourselves some questions, even this morning when we come to church, each week when we go to community groups, when we gather together as Christ followers, am I sluggish in my ears? Am I, when I show up on Sunday, am I done listening? Do I feel like I've, I've got what I need? Or do I show up ready for God to speak to me and transform my life? 
Am I, am I a growing, learning Christian, or am I content to spiritually shove peas up my nose and wipe them all over the table and let other people clean it up? See, here's the thing when it comes to spiritual growth. We are either taking ground or we're sacrificing it. We're either taking ground or we're sacrificing it. And one of the signs of maturity in a Christian and a surefire way to grow is a willingness to listen and be challenged. I still remember hearing a story of a young pastor who was brought in to his senior pastor's office. I think he might have been a youth pastor. Pastor sat him down and he said, I, need to, I just need to challenge you on some things. And the pastor said, bless me, brother. Oh, man. Think, think of the, the writings of, of, of the... Uh, of Psalm 119, where it goes on and on about this, this great joy of, of feeding on the word of God. I love your law, God. I Just give me more of it. Just give me more of it. Because we know that that's where life is found. That's where we know where flourishing is found. We need to be able to uh, and be willing to listen and be challenged. New Testament theologian and author Kent Hughes says this. He's got some powerful stuff for us this morning. The church must be a dangerous place of vulnerability. Where love demands more than the guarding of personal ego and truth looms larger than peace. A lot of people don't want that in a church. Right? A lot of people come to church, they don't want that. And I'll tell you, there may be a lot of churches, plenty of churches out there who are happy for you just to show up so their numbers are up on a Sunday and have no interest in your personal life and your personal flourishing and your walk with God. We're not going to be that church. If you want to go to a church where you can do whatever you want and no one's going to challenge you on it, this is not that church because we love you too much. And true life is found in Christ. And digging deeper into that. If you want a church that stays out of your business, go find another one. <laughs> that sounds harsh. We are going to be a community that loves you enough to lean in. Some of you are online right now going, what are the churches? <laughs> what, what else is there around? Can I walk to these ones? I don't know. That kind of love gets uncomfortable. That kind of church gets uncomfortable. Kent Hughes goes on to say, in a healthy church and in authentic relationships within the church, confrontation is inevitable. The pain and awkwardness accompanying such loving confrontations are not easy for anyone to experience. But no talk rules, this is powerful, no talk rules, if allowed to prevail, will lead to spiritual demise, turning a community of faith into a mere crowd held together by formalities. Oh, you go to a church? Yeah, we sing songs and we listen to someone speak for 40 minutes. That's not church. And sisters filled with the Spirit of God, encouraging and spurring each other on, which the writer of Hebrews says later on. There's a few, a few truths that need to be understood in every church that claims to be a Christ-centered, Christ-honoring community. God loves us as we are. It's not a future version of you. He loves you as you are now. He loves us without fail, but God loves us too much to leave us to ourselves. He loves us as we are, but he loves us too much to leave us as we are. Thank goodness. I, I can't buy into a God who tells me I'm fine. That God's not worthy of my worship because <laughs> I know I'm not. I know I need the continue work of the spirit in my life because greater maturity comes from obedience as well. Not just a, a head nod to, to what, what scripture would say, but an actual obedience. Spiritual rightness, righteousness is essential to spiritual growth and understanding. In verse 14, again, solid food is for those who are mature. So you can't have the solid stuff until you've grown up a little bit. 
uh, the deeper things of God until we've grown up a little bit. It's for the mature who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. And here's what happens when, and and you see this hinted at in, in this verse. Those who seek to mature and grow in Christ, who seek obedience over comfort are more capable of taking in more of God, of kind of unpacking more of the truths of God, of solid food, the deeper things of faith. It's like weight training. When I was 11 or 12, I started weight training because I looked like this. So I needed to get, get under the weights. So I, I, I went into the basement of where we lived on, on 48th, and I got out my brother's weight set, and I set it up. And I thought, I thought if I can lift a lot, therefore, I, then I'll, I'm, I'll be strong. So I didn't work up to it. I just stacked it all on. I've never worked out a day in my life. Let's do what Arnie does. It shouldn't be a problem. I didn't get too far. I got frustrated very quickly. As I slowly learned, you have to put on maybe nothing first, you scrawny little, <laughs> do that, and then slowly add them on. Doesn't work when you throw everything on at once. Many of us expect the heavy stuff from God, the, a deeper sense of his presence, but we're unwilling to obey, obey him in the little stuff. So we will be met with some frustration of saying, I, I don't feel the deeper presence of God in my life. Well, have you been obedient in this? And this, or have you said, hands off, Jesus? And for some, it may be that there's not been this faithfulness in, in, in the small stuff. So that the heavier experience of God, it's not possible. That's what he's saying. You want to have the heavier stuff, the more beautiful, solid experience of God? You need to accept the small stuff. Jesus says that in Matthew 25, 29. Oh, if you still got that on there, get out. Come on. <laughs> It says, to those who, who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away from them. You want more of God? Give them the little stuff. For some, we say we're, we're ready to run this race of faith, but we're not even willing to walk in faith. Solid food is for those who are mature. Now, if you grew up in my generation... You're familiar with Rocky. And even just the thought of Rocky and his training brings beautiful music to mind. Or as he moved on, he needed to get the eye of the tiger back. Come on. So every single Rocky movie had a montage. It's like Rock, you forgot the Rock, you forgot the basics. So he, there'd be this montage of him going back to dressing down to like his old gray sweatshirts and, and running through the old neighborhood and waving, getting away from all the glamour and just doing the day-to-day, eating the raw eggs, getting up early, even though he didn't feel like it, doing all the stuff every day, bit by bit, in order to get to the point where Clubber Langs is going to bust you up. And he can stand with confidence because he's now eating solid food and say, go for it. You don't get there overnight. You get there by the slow, everyday walking with obedience. There are no shortcuts to maturity. There are no shortcuts to maturity. That's true in real life, and it's true in spiritual maturity. We can't skip obedience in the small things and expect spiritual maturity. We can't only hear about obedience and just give it a head nod. It must be practiced. That's why later in Hebrews 12, the author will compare faith to a marathon. 
It's an ongoing obedience. Get rid of the baby formula and get onto solid food of obedience. He also says that spiritual growth comes from a living and a breathing of these basics. So let's stop going, or he says this in chapter 6, verse 1, let's stop going over the basic teachings, not because they're not important, but you should have this by now. <laughs> this should be a regular process. If someone says to me, I, I don't sense the presence of God, I'm going to be saying, how's, how's your Bible reading going? How's your community group going? How's your prayer life? And if they say, oh, I don't do that stuff. Get back to these basics. Do, I, do we have to go over these things again? So he doesn't say, let, it's not because they're not important. He's saying, you guys should have this stuff down by now. Do we need to go on teaching again and again? Let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. Surely, surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds. Placing our faith and, and turning and placing our faith in God. We don't need further instruction about baptisms and laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And so God willing, we will move forward to further understanding. These are the fundamentals of what it means to be a Christian. Repentance. Not once. Continual repentance of things that we've seen attached to ourselves that are, that are keeping us from pursuing Jesus Christ. Now, in, in the, the time of, of writing here, there would be two things going on. You would have Jews who were getting back to this idea of, of works for spiritual purity, of getting right standing with God and, and getting this hierarchy set up of how righteous I am compared to you, of, of righteousness that draws a line to those who are out and those who are in. He says that that is not what brings righteousness. We need to repent of those things. But also with, with a church full of, of, of Romans and Gentiles coming in as well, there would be this idea of just these, these deeds that lead away from God. We need to be people who are so ready to chop those things away from us. So do our hearts still break over the things that, that are leading us away from Jesus? Or do we just come in and check, check off the boxes? Or are, are we unwilling to allow him access to our lives? How are we doing with taking those things that, that easily entangle us and keep us from Christ and cutting them loose so we can turn to him? That's what repentance means. To get rid of and to turn towards Christ. It's, it's not just feeling bad. It's replacing dead works for works of obedience that bring life. He says, I don't need to remind you about baptisms and laying on of hands, do you? I, we've gone over that so many times in this church. The, the early basics of church were believe and be baptized. So if you're a Christ follower and you have not been baptized, that's minimum obedience. Get baptized. Talk to me after the service. Have I made it straightforward? If you, okay. <laughs> Any questions? Yeah. It was a practice in the early church, and we, we've done it here many times. We try to make it a natural part of our church that we, we lay hands on each other. We spent time last week with the, with the shepherding elders and the elders to, to pray for somebody who's sick and, and walking through that. And we gathered together, anointed them, laid hands. But the, the author here is not specifically just talking about, about healing and laying hands on for healing. There, there's a handful of things in the early church where there's this understanding that by laying hands on, the Spirit of God is here, and you are in a community who is sending you out to do the work of the kingdom. You are not alone. You are backed by the spirit-empowered church. In Acts 6, 6, the, uh, the apostles prayed for their new leaders. In 1 Timothy 5, 20, uh, 5, 22, Paul tells Timothy, a, a, a young 
pastor, that this should be a regular practice to lay, on, lay hands on and pray. 2 Timothy 1.6, um, that hands are, hands are laid on Timothy and, and the gifts of the Spirit are given to him for to be a teacher and a preacher. Acts 13.3, there's new leaders that are going to be sent out by the church and they lay hands on them and pray for them. This, this laying on of hands was to this idea that we're living out this obedience empowered by the Holy Spirit and relying on his Spirit to live out uh, being backed by the community of the Spirit-filled church. The author says, we, we do well to remember not only those things, but the importance of the resurrection. Now, any Christ follower who understands what it means to follow Jesus and who Jesus is, it's, that should be the understatement of the year, of our lives. We should probably remember the resurrection. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, He does. Yes, he does. He says, I passed on to you what was most important. What was most important? And I, you mean it's not the color of hymnals and our church building? No. I passed on what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. He was seen by Peter, then by the 12. And after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time most of whom are still alive when Paul wrote this letter, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Paul gets meticulous in that, right? He's writing out all these details about proof, about the amount of witnesses to the fact of Christ's resurrection. Why? Because he says later on in the same chapter in verse 14, if Christ has not been raised, then all my preaching is useless and your faith is useless. So we better believe in the resurrection or there's no purpose for us being here. Our faith is not a blind faith. It is a faith based on a historical fact. It's not just hoping against hope. Oh, I can do it. It's not faith. That's not biblical faith. Christian faith is about looking at the fact of our victorious, glorified Savior and saying, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Finally, he says, or she says, eternal judgment. Let us not forget about eternal judgment. Now, we inherently go to a negative idea. There's nothing inherently negative about the statement, eternal judgment, if, you, if the judge is just and you're on the right side of the law. <laughs> right? There's nothing inherently scary about that statement. If the judge is judging rightly and you are, and you're, you're in favor, then the internal judgment is very good. If we believe as Paul wrote in Romans eight, one to two, there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. This is, this is law talk. This is court talk. And because you belong to him, the power of the life giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin and death and the penalty. First John one, nine, if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. So with God as our judge and Christ as our, as our stand in, we're in good shape with eternal judgment. That's a good thing, but don't forget who has taken care to put you on the right side of judgment. I'll tell you when we continually reflect on eternal judgment and how it was poured out on to Christ so that we could be saved, that will inspire worship. That's why Peter, an early follower of Jesus, 
says in 1 Peter 1.3, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a response to this understanding. It is by, by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus from the dead. We are justified. We don't need to fear eternal judgment because God raised Christ from the dead. And now we live with great expectation of what? Eternal judgment. We don't need to be scared. And so this great expectation manifests in obedience. How do we live out this new life? The God who is holy has called us to live holy lives. Not perfect lives, but lives pursuing Christ. Going in a direction of holiness. Kent Hughes again warns this, and and this is a a strong warning to us, and it's so important words. If we are sliding, losing our grasp on the things that were once clear, caring less about God and holiness and the world, we had better drop everything and tend to our souls. And here's why. And and from here, the, the tone of the letter turns to strong warning. And something that ought to grab our attention this morning. Something that pushes up against our our sensitivities and how we think God ought to treat us. Greater maturity, greater obedience protects us from falling away. Greater maturity, greater obedience protects us from falling away. Holding on to the basics and going over them and over them and over them and living them out. Verses 4 to 6 of chapter 6 are considered by many to be the most terrified, terrifying warning in the New Testament. It is impossible to bring back to repentance those who were once enlightened. Those who have experienced the good things of heaven and shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the power of the age to come, and who then turn away from God, who reject him. It's impossible to bring such people back to repentance. By rejecting the Son of God, they themselves are nailing him to the cross once again and holding him up to public shame. The author uses some very careful words here. First of all, the last statement ought to catch our attention. Those who reject the Son of God are nailing him to the cross again. But he's very careful in the language that he uses here. This kind of people who were kind of playing a part and who were kind of on the fringe. They they were once enlightened. They, they, They were given knowledge. They had experienced. They had shared. They had tasted. Language used here is try is like trying something on but not being convinced. Of kind of kind of hanging out. Yeah, okay, let's do this for a while. Yeah, that that's good. Let's try this out for a while. On the surface, no one can tell the difference, but below the surface, their lives refuse to take root in the gospel. Jesus describes that kind of person as, as one who, who is like rocky soil and, and doesn't let the truth of God go very deep. The parable of the farmer and the seed, he says in Matthew 13, the seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message, immediately receive it with joy. We see them as people who've come to faith, but since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. We can see that the author of Hebrews has a a similar idea in mind in in verses 7 and 8. When the ground soaks up the falling rain and bears a good crop for the farmer, it has God's blessing. But a field bears thorns and thistles, it's useless. The farmer will soon condemn that field and burn it. It's a strong metaphor. 
The point is this, faith that, that goes deep, that looks to, to grow deeper into the truth of the gospel produces a good crop. It produces obedience, what scripture calls spiritual fruit. When times get difficult, there's a grasping on even more strongly to Jesus. Not when their, their personal ideals are pushed against, they just drop it and go, then I'm out. I'll go find a church that is not interested in my personal business. There is an, an ongoing promise, just like today, that there's better stuff out there, that, that we can find meaning elsewhere. And so we see this continued aspect, and we, we've seen it, I've seen it personally with friends, seen it in our church, where it becomes evident that faith went just below the surface. But if you try to shake up my life by giving me more Jesus and telling me to be obedient in this area, I'll uproot and I'll go find somewhere else. It's not new. It's been, it's been going on since the beginning of the gospel in 2 Peter 2. And when people escape from the wickedness of the world by knowing the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and then get tangled up and enslaved by sin again, they are worse off than before. It would be better if they had never known the way to righteousness than to know it and then reject the command they were given to live a holy life. John in his letter in 1 John, these people left our churches, but they never really belonged to us. Otherwise, they would have stayed with us. When they left, it proved they did not belong to us. They had not accepted the truth. It was nice. It was shiny. It was something new to try. How can anyone do that? We might ask. You do it. By living an unexamined, untouchable life. A life that truly belongs to yourself and not to Christ. And the test of, is easy for an authentic Christian life of faith. When our faith is tested, when it's strained, do we still display the fruits of the Spirit? Or are they, are they abound, abandoned because our desires are more important than Christ's reign in my life? Paul writes in Galatians 5, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit. Only the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against these things. Someone who does not have the Spirit of Christ will say, if I don't get this in my life, then I'm not going to be loving. God took this from me. He's not giving me what I want. I'm not going to be self-controlled because I haven't got what I want. So I don't need to display these things. And we toss those things aside. Comfort was never the way to deeper relationship, to greater reward. Comfort has never been the way to greater maturity. That is a modern idea. The ancient Greeks who didn't even follow Jesus thought you needed to go through difficulty to mature. And really what it comes down to for us is saying, Jesus, you can reign over my life, but stay away from the details. I'm happy to take all the stuff you've purchased for me on the cross and I'll, I'll have my pie in the sky when I die and when you return, but stay out of my life. Yeah, my life belongs to you, but back off. And really it's a way of saying, yeah, God, hands off. If you touch these things in my life, if you threaten to... To shape me into something that, that I want to push against, then I'm out. Saying, 
ultimately we're saying, I don't trust you with this. I don't trust you with this. And that comes from a life that's in a pattern of not being willing to trust God with the small things. We're not going to trust him with the big things. It comes with a, a pattern of I'm practicing of, of obedience in all levels. There's a scene in the movie Unbreakable. If you haven't seen the movie Unbreakable, watch it this afternoon. There's a shot of Bruce Willis who, who plays the main character and his son. And he's lifting weights in his garage. And there's this great scene where basically the son is, is getting convinced that his dad is a superhero. And his dad can handle anything. And so while they're having a casual conversation, his son just keeps adding weights. While Bruce Willis's character isn't even paying attention. He's just going like this. He starts off small and then adds more and then adds more and then adds more until all the paint cans and everything that is in their junk room is on this bending bar that his character is lifting up. Do we trust that Jesus can carry us in all these areas? Do we trust him with the small stuff? This is what will happen. This is what faith looks like, growing faith looks like, that we slowly start handing these things over to Jesus and say, carry me in this one. Carry me in this one. I'm going to trust you in this one. I'm being pushed in this area in work that I should cheat this a little bit. I'm going to trust you in this one. And then as we do that, as we mature and we, we kind of push the baby food aside, we start taking on the bigger things that, it, that might bring on more public ridicule, more pressure against our faith. It might, it might mean that we don't have the relationship that we want to have because it was pushing up against and causing us to push Jesus to the margins. And we start trusting God with those bigger things and those bigger things and those bigger things. And we learn as scripture tells us that he can do far more than we could ever think or imagine. That's the invitation to live in obedience. But I, I plead with you because I've seen the pattern so many times. I plead with you to trust him with the small things. Trust him with the small things in your personal life, in your work life, at school, in your relationships. And as that happens, the food that, that God wants to give you, the nourishment gets stronger and his, his, your, your trust in him for the bigger things becomes bigger. And there's a peace that comes over us as we, we learn that there's nothing our God cannot sustain us through. I, 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 I know it's difficult. We, we've talked about this before, this idea of digital Babylon with just this continuum. The extent, at the extent of our hand, we get our culture throwing stuff at us every day. Even down to the simple you know, taking 40 pictures of myself before I post one because I got to get the right one. But I'm not a slave to it. There's so many things that are feeding us. It even happened during the message. I know you said you were on church info, but something came up, something popped up. You can't get away from it. I know it is an ongoing battle. That's why meeting together as a church, not just on Sundays, but in Christian community and encouraging each other and allowing each other to push up against us and say, you are my brother and sister in Christ. There's nothing more important to me than my relationship with Jesus. So let's have those uncomfortable conversations. If you see something in my life that is pulling me away from Christ, pulling me away from Christian community, tell me, bless me. Because of your love, please push against my blindness. One of the ways that we do that, and we do this every second week, is through communion. Communion is, is a, a grip that we can get on in the reality of, of who we are in Christ. 
Things like, like baptism and, and praying together and worship and, and communion are a way in the middle of a culture that's, that's preaching so many things at us to have the gospel preached to ourselves. When we take communion, we're remembering a few things. First, we're remembering the historical event of Jesus taking the sins of humanity on his shoulders and dying. And there's something very powerful about that event because we, we always jump immediately to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But in Jesus' death, a Roman centurion said, surely this was the son of God before he saw the resurrection. So something powerful takes place in the death of Christ as he absorbs the sin of humanity. And so we look back and we remember and we remember the vulgarity of the cross, but also the beauty of the cross because it shows God's unfailing love for us in spite of the vulgarity and, and showing where sin leads. But when we take communion, we also look to the future because we know that one day Christ will return and he tells us one day we will eat this meal with him. That's a good story to be in. <laughs> and this, this kind of helps us as we take communion, kind of helps us flip the page in the story as we continue to move forward and look forward to that, to that ending. But as bread sustains our body, the spirit of Christ must sustain us to live in obedience now. So as we take communion, we're reminding ourselves like the way the Israelites did when they would come out of their tent and and eat manna, that every day they had to rely on God to sustain them. We are saying in communion every day, Jesus, we need to rely on you to sustain us to live lives of holiness and obedience. So as we take communion now, the band's going to come up and lead us and My challenge for you this morning is before you rush up to take communion, to invite the Spirit of God to lean in, to open your hands and everything you were grabbing onto so tightly, allow the Spirit to say, you've not been obedient here. You've not been obedient here and it's going to catch up to you. You want these things from me, but you won't, you're not willing to walk with me here. There's nothing he can't handle. There's no weight he can't carry. And so I'm going to invite you to take a minute or two while we worship to just allow the Spirit to speak to you before you come up and take communion. And how we do communion here, if you're a Christ follower, you're welcome to take part in communion. It doesn't belong to our church. It's the Lord's table. How we do it here is we walk up to the front. We'll have gluten-free on my right, your left regular bread over here. You can take from either side. Um, and how we take it here is we, we take it out and we dip it and we eat it on the spot and then we can step back and continue in worship. So let's continue to worship. I'm going to pray quick and then let's worship through communion. God of grace, I pray that you would do a work in this, your church, that as we aim to be the living, breathing physical extension of you, Jesus, in this community and in this world, we would do so in the midst of a pursuit of obedience and holiness. Not perfection, but aiming towards you with our lives. An ongoing obedience to you. God, may we be a community on both sides, but may we be people who are willing for for, the, for your glory, be willing to be chiseled and challenged. And God, on the other side of that, may we be people full of grace and full of love who are willing to step next to our brothers and sisters and invite them to move closer to Jesus. Always with, with a, a heart of reconciliation. 
always with a heart of, of, of bringing people into deeper relationship and deeper peace with you. We worship you now through this communion. We thank you for the salvation purchased us on the cross, Jesus. We thank you for the humility and the love that brought that about. And we respond to you now with our lives and we respond to you now through worship in Jesus' name.